Are you ready to bridge the gap in our current healthcare system and really help people that struggle with flexibility, mobility, and weakness? Hi, I'm Kim Narker, and welcome to Rehab to Wellness Boss Podcast, a business owner successful startup podcast where I help you start, build, and grow your wellness business. Join me as I reveal real secrets to helping rehab professionals build a successful, proven wellness program that keeps their community away from reactive care. Hello, bosses and bosses-to-be. Thanks for joining me today. And for those of you who are new to the show, thank you for joining me. And please take a moment to introduce yourself so that I can learn a little bit more about you. And if you're one of my followers, welcome back to the show. In this show, I try to teach you about the wellness business world and give you some insight into what successful business owners do in their wellness businesses that keep them in the top 5% of business ownership. Thank you for the dedication that you've provided for my show, and make sure that you click the subscribe button here on the screen so that a new show is delivered to you every week. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Kim Narker, and I am a PTA turned stretch mobility coach that has founded two successful businesses, and in today's show, we have Alex Edner. Now, Alex, I can never pronounce your name right. Can you pronounce Nobody your can, last name? so you don't even have to say. No, it's Engar. Engar. I don't know why I butcher that every single time. Now, Alex is from CEO Finance Academy, and Alex and I are going to be discussing today everything business finances. So if all of you PTAs out there, or if you already have a business, this is going to be pertinent to you. But if you're a PTA and you're thinking, you know, I'm ready to step away, Alex and I are going to be talking about, you know, finances, business finances for new startup companies. So Alex, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule today and welcome to the show. Kim, I'm so excited to be here. For those who don't know, Kim and I have history. We go back many years. Well, I I guess you can't say many quite at this point, but I've been following your journey for quite a while and it's so cool to see the influence now that you have on this industry after, I mean, when we were first talking, I'm pretty sure this was well before the podcast launch. In fact, I know it was. And I was looking at what you were doing in your business. It's like, Kim, this is such a unique way of looking at business mm-hmm. and a unique model that you have. You have to get people up to speed on this. And it's so cool to see you now spreading this model and kind of your way of thinking about business, which is just so genius. And so th- this is really fun for me to just get to come here and nerd out with you on business. And the cool part is most of you don't even know. So what Alex is talking about, I came to Alex and Will, gosh, even before you guys had the Profit You show, I mean, like early, early on, we're probably talking five, six years ago, talking about, we were talking about niches. You guys were really educating on how we need to go niche. And my niche was pain and tightness. And it was that conversation of that's too broad, Kim, you got to break that down. But it's so funny how it it has come around and you were exactly right. You do have to break it down, but it kind of shifted towards wellness. And we won't get into my stuff because we're talking about business and finance stuff. But yeah, Alex, Will and I go way back and, and I actually have been mentored by these two guys two years ago before I started all of the stretch mobility coach affiliations and teaching you guys how to become a business owner as a PTA. So you have no idea how 
I look back at all of that and think, wow, where we are today for both of us to be sitting together, it's pretty phenomenal. Really fun. And the cool thing is we both talked about our changes kind of in business over the years. And Will and I have had a pretty significant change too. And I know we're going to be talking today to people who are maybe looking at having a change in their career or business direction. And I'll just tell you, from someone that came from, you know, I'm, I'm a physical therapist by title only. I actually never really treated patients as a licensed PT. And now I'm sitting here on the other side of the table talking about business finances. And people said, that's a stretch. You know, speaking of stretches, and that's the cool thing about, you know, your career path is you can take the skill set that you learn within healthcare and take it whatever direction you want. And it does not have to be the standard career path that everyone expects coming out of school. So true. So true. And mentorship, I'm going to kind of put a jab for mentorship here. I paid hundreds and thousands of dollars for mentorship to get to where I am today. So those people that are out there thinking, oh, I just kind of showed up on the scene. There's a lot of money, mentorship, consulting. You know, you guys were one of the many that I you know, paid the price to learn what you guys were teaching. So we're going to start the show with finances on kind of your thoughts, you know, and opinions around that mentorship word. So what do you want to know? Because I have so many thoughts on this, some that actually differ from very mainstream thoughts in terms of what a lot of people will say. But where do you want to take the conversation? Because I could take it so many directions. You know, I think if I'm looking at a PTA and where I was before I opened my business 10 years ago, I would say for me, it was very clear that I didn't know business sales and marketing and I knew how to be a clinician only. So I felt that it was important to gain advice from someone who already was an industry expert in business sales and marketing. What's your opinion for a new owner that is thinking, where do I invest my money? Do I invest it in me first or do I jump and invest it in a business that I don't I don't know what I'm going to do? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think it's really individual a little bit the answer here i'll just tell you where i started in my process which was i knew when i was i was actually a pt student when i started my whole journey into where we're at right now i just knew that i didn't want to be a full-time clinician working for someone else i had no clue what the end result really looked like of what i wanted i just knew what i didn't want and so that pushed me to say well can i expound my mental boundaries of what i think is possible right now because the path that i see in front of me isn't exactly what i want and so with that as the foundation, I started at the time, blogs were really popular. It was more popular than YouTube is now. Yep, so yep. I started reading a lot of blogs and listening to podcasts. And that was how I found my first mentor or my first coach, if you will. I just started looking at who has accomplished something that I want and have they outlined a path for me to get there? And my expectation then of what mentorship or coaching is and what the outcome should be is different than it is now. <laughs> Back then, when I invested in my first coaching program, it was an online course. It was a $2,000 how to start an online course course, a little bit meta. But it was my first real jump into recognizing that I didn't have the knowledge that I needed to take what I wanted to, to create and make it a reality. And so it was one admitting that I, I don't think I can do this on my own or I know that if I don't do it on my own, I can go faster. And so that was sort of that initial like, okay, I know I want this. And I, to be honest, Kim, I dragged my feet on this stuff for probably three years before I really decided, okay, I'm going to commit to doing it. Because I tried doing this stuff on my own. I, I tried piecing stuff together from free blog posts and free podcasts and you know all the little uh, cheat sheets that you would get from opting into people's email. And I had a million different thoughts and ideas of what I could do. 
And it wasn't until I decided, no, I'm actually committing to doing something. I will put my money where my mouth is and I'll go do it. It was really scary. I was a PT student. I was married. We had, I think, just my first daughter at the time. And that idea that I would invest $2,000 when I had made zero and was making zero. Because let's be honest, as a PT student, you're not making bank then. That was really scary. And I still remember to this day, like almost shaking before I hit the buy button. My wife and I had talked through it. Okay, we can make this happen. I put so much writing on that to make that the thing. And it's so funny because now as I look back, I didn't complete every module of that course. I didn't go through every single extra video in their vault to do every single worksheet. But it was the determination that I wanted to do something differently that I was going to get real help from someone who was much further ahead than me, and that I was going to stick with something even though it would be hard. And to be honest, the $2,000 itself, the pain of having spent that is what got me to go through the thing and actually still do it. Because like everyone, with that first investment, I was maybe three or four months in when I realized, oh, this is harder than I thought. And I had my first drop-off moment where it's like, right? You lose momentum and the other crap happens. But then there was that $2,000 lurking in the back of my mind that was like, I can't have wasted that money. And so the spending of the money was actually the thing that got me back on track. It wasn't that it was some amazing course and, and all the outline stuff. And don't get me wrong, it was. It was a course by Ramit Sethi, by the way, if you haven't heard of him, he's, he's great. Um, but it was the fact that I had spent money to do something. And that to me was the commitment that I was, I was invested in this. I had to have an outcome from it. And now looking back, did I have the exact outcome that they promised me at the beginning of the course? Actually, yes, and times 10. But it wasn't in the exact way that I expected to have from the course. And it wasn't even directly from the course material. It was the fact that I was saying, yes, I'm going to do this thing. I'm investing in it. And now I'm going to put a bunch of energy towards this. And now years later that we've made, I don't know, probably a million and a half from courses and consulting and all this stuff over the years. It's like, gosh, was that $2,000 worth it? Holy crap. There's no way that I'd be where I'm at without having done that. But was every single piece of information in that course what got me to where I'm at? No, but I'm so glad that I started and that I got down that road. So my view on courses and consulting has changed drastically. My The outcomes that I expect have maybe been tempered a little bit, but uh-huh. it's more about direction, commitment, and having someone to go to for a couple little questions along the way now that I value when we pay for it. So that was a long way of saying, yes, I believe in mentorship. Yes, I believe in buying your way through things faster because you're either going to pay time or you're going to pay money. And if you don't have money, then fine. Go use your time. Go soak up all the free things you can and go act on it. Yep. But otherwise, most people don't realize that their time is much more valuable than they think. And so they'll throw away you know, weeks, months, and years of time in the name of saving $1,000, which now breaks my brain because I realize the value of my time so much differently than I did before. It's funny. You're exactly right. And when you put that money down, I even remember like what of when I signed up for you guys' course, you know how you do those sales calls. And I'm sure Will, I think Will got on the phone with me. Maybe it was you. I can't remember which one of you guys, but you get on the phone and I'm sure your thought process was, you know, I don't know where Kim is in this journey and if she's ready to purchase or not ready to purchase, because that's, you know, something that you need to learn in your journey. But before I even got on the phone, I knew there were things in the course that I had to have that I didn't have information on. And you guys already had that information for me. So the price was not the option at that point, because to get me from where I was to where I needed to be, I had to have something and and there were no other options out there for business owners. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting, you know, I think that, I think the expectations of your investment 
really matter when you're looking at mentorship, right? And so I shop very differently now for mentorship or courses than I used to. Mm-hmm. Like I will not even blink if, if there's a course that comes up that's like, hey, I've got this information or I've got this checklist or this thing. And it's like, look, I could spend the next 10 hours trying to figure this out on my own, or I can spend 300 bucks to go buy it right now and then just go through it. I, I will do it. Like just no stress. And it's like, I have bought so many courses, Kim, that I just honestly just needed one or two little pieces of, of stuff from it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because as a course creator, you try to put all this stuff in. It's like, oh, we have all these things. And it's like, look, most people don't need 90% of what they need. The first thing they need is commitment. The second thing that they need is one specific piece of information from that. And maybe even a little bit of feedback or handholding to go implement it. Mm-hmm. And boom, you're good. And so I look for that now. It's like, okay, what is the little piece of information or help that I need? Who's got that? And I don't exactly. necessarily look for a one-stop shop anymore. Cause I don't think that there are, in fact, as I tried to find that one-stop shop mentor, that's like, this is the person who has everything I want. I still have not found that person almost 10 years into this journey. I don't have that. Like you are the one person that has everything I want. You got the balance of family values. You've got the, the time freedom. You've got the kind of business. You've got the ethics and morals that I, like, I, I still haven't found that one person who's just the everything to me. And so I stopped looking for it. And I find that there are little people along the, not little people, little slices of things along the way that I needed. And so I will go find that one slice. And so it's interesting as a business owner, and this is why we told you to niche down so much early on and why we've narrowed down to such a little slice. It's like, how can I stop trying to be everything to everyone? Mm -hmm. And how can I be one thing to one person? And so if you're a business owner or future business owner, who's looking at how do I make a business? Stop worrying about trying to be everything to everyone and stop thinking that everyone else is your competition. Because guess what? You just need to serve one little slice of someone's life in one specific way to solve one specific problem for them. And then everyone else opens up to be an ally for you in helping to improve that person's life or to go connect with more people. And once you start realizing that you only need to be expert or at least great at one little thing, it takes so much of that pressure off of the imposter syndrome of, can I make this happen? Right? And then yes, so there are true. other skills that need to stack on top of that, but it's taken the pressure off of us. And it's, we have narrowed down the scope of what we've done and just focused on one thing for one relatively small slice of people, man, it's made the progress go so much quicker than trying to do everything for everyone. It's so very true. And because you guys started at grassroots, it's a little different if you've got like something you're providing for people and you go, Hey, here's the blueprint, follow the blueprint. It works. I've done it. That's one thing. But when we're talking about you or I, we started this from grassroots. We kind of had a concept. We knew we were going to be able to help people, but we had to develop it because it needed to be developed. And then we had to find mentors based on where we are, where we were or are in our journeys. Yep. And I see a lot of people finding mentorship or trying to get into mentorship at the wrong time for the wrong thing. Sometimes I see it too late. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of people who come to us it's like, and they tell us after we worked, gosh, I wish I would have done this five years ago. Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, we see people who will maybe try to get into programs that are too big, too all-encompassing that promise the stars. And it's like, you know, you're trying to solve step 10 when you're on step two. Let's just go focus on step two, prove to ourselves that we can do that and then move to step three. We don't need to be buying the solution to step 10 right now. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement that mentorship is key. But you got to find the right mentorship and understand what you're going to get out of that mentorship. But it's true that accountability is huge and implementation because there's so much information out there for you. If you put the money down and you implement it, that's the biggest part of the struggle. Yep. And I think that that puts a lot of, I mean, it kind of can make you nervous to a degree because you think, well, 
then that means that there's responsibility on me to know what I need next. And there's a big, you know, that is a big responsibility on someone who hasn't walked a path yet to know what they need next. Right. And so this is where it's really easy to get deceived into advertising and marketing that seems like, oh, yes, this person solved this problem. This was the one thing that unlocked everything for them. (laughs) And this is why we don't sell to people except for our very cheap products. We don't sell to people unless we can hop on a call one-on-one to decide if it's a good fit or not. I just talked with someone today who they're in a $25 million a year business, very successful in three years. Come on, that's ridiculous. Incredibly successful. In fact, far beyond what we could provide for them. They, they told me the three things that they needed. And I said, look, we can do one of those really well for you. The other two, totally not a fit. And in fact, you need to solve those first before we'd be ready for this. And it's really hard as a consumer to get sucked into someone's marketing and advertising funnel that's so good. And you see all these things and all the testimonials are like, that's what I want, but is it what you need right now? And so that's why I say the ethics portion of, of selling an online business for me becomes really important because if you get into somewhere where they're like, oh yes, we have amazing stuff and you absolutely need this, but it's like, but that's not really what you need right now. That can be dangerous. And so we're, we really try to have our sales team be gatekeepers for people on deciding, is it time for you to focus on this or not? And you mentioned a couple key skills and we could get into it. But I really think if you're just starting off in business and you're taking the leap from maybe your PTA right now working for someone else and you want to take the leap into whatever's next for you, you have to first learn how to attract people into your world, right? Marketing. Mm-hmm. You have to learn marketing because if you can't get in front of people and get attention, then you can't move to the next step, which is how to make a sale. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so many people in the healthcare realm, we focus on doing the thing and being the best practitioner we can. And while being a good practitioner and getting a great outcome for someone is important from a business standpoint, if you can't get in front of people in the first place, well, then you're not going to have a business to, to practice in, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why Will and I have harped so much over the years on marketing and sales. And then we're obviously here to talk about the financial side of things too. But I think it's good to have your priorities in order with where you need to focus at what point. Absolutely. So let's go into kind of like, what are typical startup costs? And I know you guys, this could be very, very, very broad. And I, I started with 25000 And just to back that up, I started with 25,000, went to a marketing course, started attracting new clients, grew 300%, could not handle the volume. Marketing was not what I needed at the time (laughs) because then I had a big mess of hiring and those things that I really didn't understand yet, but I had customers out the wazoo and then had to go jump from an infancy business to a scaled business within four months. And it's just not the way to do business, guys. It really isn't. And I learned the hard way. But and I thought twenty five thousand. Hmm, that's going to be you know money in the bank. I've got plenty of money to put down on a business. What would you say typical startup costs would be? Yeah, this is a it's a hard question to pin down because it varies so much based off what type of business you're running, where you're located, etc. So can we just establish a couple of things first? Number one, would we expect them to have space costs? Yes. In your model, wonderful. Would we expect them to have admin costs yet at this point or not as we're talking about startup costs? Okay. Mm -hmm. Would we... So they would have space. They would have no admin. Then let's just talk through some of the other common things that I would need to plan for. I would expect to have an EMR, right? An electronic medical Mm -hmm. record, something that I can keep notes on my patients. And even if I don't need to submit them for reimbursement, you need to have some way to track what's happening in a wellness program, I would imagine. True? Correct. And schedule. you need to be able to schedule them. You need to have, you know, a point of sale. You need to be able to process credit cards. 
Yeah. So these are all the things that you don't think about when you get into business. It's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't plan on that. I just planned on maybe space costs and, you know, some supplies. So we have space, which the cheapest, and I don't know with your model where, how you like to take things, but the cheapest I often find is subleasing in someone else's space, whether that's in a gym or somebody else's clinic, can I sublease and rent a small space that I could treat in? Maybe I need access to a gym space or something, right? But if I can sublease, usually cheaper. If not- usually very much cheaper. And that's what we, that's what we promote to new owners just to save money that first year. Yep. So that's where I would love people to start and they need to factor in, you know, I need one room. It's not like I need three rooms to treat, you know, unless, unless the model um, depends on that. So there's space costs, there's insurance costs, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you need to be insured. There's potentially some con ed costs that go into that. And we'll talk about that in a minute, the investment side of things. Certainly we need to plan for an EMR and you could tell me better on specific costs for this within your business model, right? So an EMR, let's, let's ask this for a minute about how much should that cost for an EMR per month, let's say. It's usually about 75 to a hundred dollars. Yeah. I would plan on a hundred bucks as a rough estimate, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about payment processing. Do you have a favorite payment processor that you like to recommend to people? Yeah, we just do Square and it integrates well with, we use Intake Q because it Uh houses all of our forms and does, you know, our scheduling and everything's automated through them. Right. So I should pull up my spreadsheets and I should just add this all in here. But so we've got Intake Q and Intake Q would cost about how much for a single practitioner, would you say? Um, About $75, I think is what it is. So we're up to 75 plus 100, so up to 175 there. For Square, you pay, generally, I would imagine you don't pay monthly, you pay per swipe. Is that how it works for you? Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And is it like 2.5 to 3% somewhere in that range? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you need to, and this one trips a lot of practitioners up early on when I talk with them, they say, oh, payment processing is so expensive. Can I just get people to pay me through check or through cash? Look, it's a cost of doing business. It is. You got to just factor it in. We factor in that three, I always factor it in at 3%. That usually covers most payment processing. And we're good, right? So for every $100 I make, the first three of it goes right out the door to my payment processor. Right. Cost of business, cool. And then some other ones, insurance. Mm-hmm. On average, what have you found for insurance costs? And we can talk, you know, we can kind of compare for a single practitioner right now. What are you seeing for insurance kind of practice? Uh, so costs? that and general liability, I'm seeing probably around $400 a year max. Okay. Now that's, that's actually the on the cheaper expensive. end of what I've heard. So that's great. Mm-hmm. I tell people to budget for somewhere between five to 700, depending on where they're at. So you can get it for less. Wonderful. I love that. So now we're up to, you know, if we say 500 for a year, divide that by 12, it's like 40 bucks a month, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now we're starting to see, okay, where are these costs stacking up on a monthly basis? And this is the first thing that I have people do. Well, this is the second or third thing I have people do when they're looking at their planning their business is mark out all of the monthly costs that you have, right? So EMR, insurance, point of sales, software, scheduling, and and then I need to look at supplies, right? Do I have any supplies that I need? So with your model, Kim, do you have a certain amount of supplies that you like to budget for monthly? Well, monthly supplies, office supplies, probably about $50 a month. And that's probably on the higher end in the very, very beginning, but you've got it stock initially. But we also have like our card exercise system. It's about $850 to get your initial stock of 25 cards. And that's what you're going to give to your clients. Um, You're going to need equipment. Um, You're going to need TheraBands. You're going to need just some little things to do the manual techniques that we do in the stretch method. We prefer high-low beds because it, you know, 
Um, but those are the start. expensive part, right? And if we look at startup costs, mm-hmm. it's the high-low tables that that always get people. Yep. And there's such a huge range there from a pricing mm-hmm. standpoint, right? So with what you're seeing right now in the marketplace, what's the range for high-low tables that you're seeing right now? About twenty two fifty for just a two split. One yeah. side moves high low. Yeah, table. and on the higher end, I've seen up to five plus thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll have a lot of people say that, you know, yeah, I, I with tax out the door, I'm spending somewhere around four k. If I want something nicer, it can be five plus, right? And so that's the biggie, to be honest. Yeah, that is, is the biggest one for us too. Yep. So now we're sort of mentally keeping track of these and saying, all right, maybe I've got somewhere on the order of five hundred a month in expenses, maybe a little bit less if I can be a little bit more bare bones plus rent, right? Mm -hmm. And so in a typical space, again, this is so dependent on where you're at, right? Our clients in Boston and California are going to be paying, you know, tons more double what someone in Texas might be paying or Arizona, right? So it's very dependent on that. But, you know, reasonable one person space, I see as low as we've got a couple of people that are at like 250 a month. It's like just very minimal. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's what I'm saying. It varies. It varies greatly. You know, a little tiny, what they might call a closet in reality (laughs) to treat out of on up to, you know, for a single space, if you're paying significantly over like 1200 a month, I'm starting to see that as like, that's a pretty fully fledged space. And you're probably not subleasing or you're in New York, right? Like one of those somewhere in that ballpark of sub $1,000 a month. I'm probably cool with, I don't know if that fits in with what you've seen right now too, in terms of finding space in somebody else's clinic. Is that kind of ballpark 700 ish, maybe is an average. Mm, five, seven. Yeah. Is what we're yeah. seeing right now yeah, for that's great. a decent amount of space to have what you need to be yep. for the first year. Cause you outgrow it pretty quick. Yes. And so I've just done all that mental math and I say, okay, well maybe realistically I'm spending a thousand a month, mm-hmm. right? between space and all my supplies and stuff. But then I have that initial outlay of cash, right? There's sign-up costs for all those different softwares that we talked about, usually for onboarding and stuff. You mentioned the card costs. And so I might set aside something like, you know, if I can go cheap on a high-low table, maybe somewhere around five to $7,000 can get me up and running out mm-hmm. the door on the cheap-ish side. Would you agree with that? Totally doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then if I have that kind of budget in mind, now I need to think about monthly costs moving forward. And planning to set aside money for that. Because depending on how it works, and if you're working with someone like Kim who can help you get people in the door quickly, and you can expect to start having cash flow, well, then maybe some of that early cash flow from your new patients can cover those initial expenses of a thousand bucks. So the thing that's important to know is how many patients do I need in order to cover what I would call your baseline burn? So if we've said we have a thousand bucks a month of expenses, how many patients do I need? So let's imagine for a normal wellness program and I were to take in a client, what would you say is a nice average number for a wellness type program that you or your, you know, people you help might sell? How much revenue would that bring in from one client, one patient? So per visit, what we're seeing is pricing and the market researches we're doing is $75 to $115 a visit. Okay. Great. And this is all cash, right? Usually not high through insurance at all. Okay. So let's call it a hundred bucks average just to find a round number. Great. So a hundred bucks, I need, you know, I've got a thousand bucks of costs. So now I can reverse engineer it and say 1000 divided by 10, sorry, by by hundred is 10 patients. So now we know a break-even point, Mm -hmm. right? Can I get to 10 patient visits per month, which is only like two and a quarter, you know, three a week, let's say, Mm -hmm. could I get to three visits a week within a month? If I could, 
I'm covering my costs immediately and I don't need to have as much set aside. Right? Correct. I recommend that businesses, especially in the startup phase, can be a little bit more, but I recommend that businesses sit on about three months of expenses in their bank account. And so if you look at that, we've kind of estimated $3,000. I think for a brand new startup, that's on the too lean side. I don't think that that's quite enough because you're going to have unexpected stuff pop up that you didn't factor in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we've said somewhere between five to 7,000 of, of initial cash, then probably at least 3,000 for that initial sort of operating reserves. I would love a little bit more. So now we're up to somewhere around 10K maybe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I had a little bit more, maybe there's 15 sitting there. I think $15,000 of, you know, between initial investment, getting things up and running, I think that's a pretty reasonable amount. And now we look at, let's add on some mentorship on top of that. And it might be, you know, I'll just tell you, there are a lot of mentorship programs that are somewhere in the five to $7,000 range. If it's a full, like, Hey, you're getting access to not only course material, but some coaching along the way, that's a pretty good guesstimate for where I'd, where I'd be looking. And so, you know, we're up to 15 to $20,000 maybe as some initial startup costs. You could do it for cheaper. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just looking at, Hey, realistically, if I were to have that kind of cash sitting around, how would I use it? That's what the breakdown starts to look like for me. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, some other things that you have to look at as far as time is concerned. I mean, you're not branded, so you may need some branding. You've got your marketing materials. You've got to make a card. You've got to have a message. You've got to know stuff that you don't think about when you open your business, um, possibly some uniforms. And, you know, you go down that little rabbit hole with time and money and then a website. A lot of people need something that because everywhere you go to market, oh, can you just leave something behind for me? And everybody wants something different. <laughs> oh, the fun of it all. Cost right? and time, cost and time. So let's talk about if it's okay to start. If you don't have that startup money, is it okay with these people to go outside for startup capital, like take a loan or anything like that? What do you think about that? Yeah. So I think it very much depends on how are your personal finances? Because if you're in a situation where you're in a ton of debt personally, and you know yourself that you do not manage money well, historically, I'll be frank, I tell people, you know, it might not be worth it to you to go into business debt right now. Let's get your own personal finances settled first, get that stabilized before you take the leap to go starting your own business. Great advice there. I mean, I see so many people, Kim, who think that a business is their punch ticket to immediate financial security. And if you're a business owner, you know, talk to any business owner about the roller coaster that they're on and they'll know immediately what you're talking about. Business is up and down and business has surprises and business mm-hmm. is not an immediate for as much as everyone wants to market to us that we can have these immediate glorified revenue numbers. It is not all peaches and butterflies. Right? And business not. will and, eat you alive. Yes. <laughs> so I actually don't recommend that you get into business if you have had a history of mismanaging money. Get your crap together. And mm-hmm. here's the other thing is you can change it. Just totally. because you have been one way, one time at one point in your life does not mean you have to be like that forever moving forward. And we start to get into this mindset where we believe these old stories about us that our past equals our future. And my goodness, if that's the case, we are all screwed. Frankly, totally. We, you and I both would not be sitting where we are today from where we were 10 years ago. No. Can I tell you when I first, my very first attempt at a business, which I closed, by the way, less than a year later, my very first attempt at a business was actually a marketing agency before I even knew Will. Me and me and a friend got together. We actually started a podcast. We started trying to do some marketing-esque stuff. 
We set up our LLC. And guess what? About four months into it, I got a knock on the door. And I was like, that's weird. I wasn't expecting a knock on the door at the time. Granted, I was, I was in PT school still, right? PT student, didn't know anything about business, was trying to run this thing, get a knock on the door. It's a gentleman from the Utah State Tax Commission coming to serve me my collections notice. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> like my, my stomach just... <laughs> and he's like, I need to serve you. We've been trying to get in touch with you about your tax balance. Tax balance. He hands me this thing and I owed them something like $9,000. I had not made a penny. I had literally not even made a sale yet. And I was like, this cannot be right. What is going on here? And so it was my very first slap in the face moment of welcome to business because you don't understand half of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Let's get our education in the toughest way possible. Mm -hmm. And found out that when my LLC had gotten set up, our lawyer or whoever it was that had helped me with it had said, yes, they have employees and they have this many. So the state thought that I should be paying all these payroll taxes all the way along. And yeah. if you know about FUDA and SUDA, mm -hmm. all these federal and state unemployment tax things, and they told me that I owed all this money because I don't know if they had somewhere estimated how much I was going to be making or what, but it was mm -hmm. terrible and I hated it. <laughs> Turns out I didn't know anything. Luckily, lots of phone calls later, I convinced them that I really hadn't made any money. And they were like, okay, well, here's what you need to do. That was a very painful experience where I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. And you know, if I look back at Alex then versus Alex now, I have had to get so much more on top of my crap. I just have. I've had to grow. And yep. so business forces you to grow. It forces you to get more responsible. It forces you to get more creative. It forces you to do things that you wouldn't necessarily want to do because it's not in your comfort zone. And mm -hmm. not that it's against your values, but my goodness, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. And so if you traditionally haven't managed money well, you can totally change it. But I wouldn't just dive in right now to business and say, this is my proving grounds to change it. Change it first in the personal finances. And so can people go get business debt? Yes, absolutely. However, that's with a big caution. I do see a lot of people who get business debt and then think that continuing to get business debt is the way to grow a business. And then they end up a million dollars in debt with no cash flow to pay it off. And they're stuck because they personally guaranteed all of that. And we see a number of people get into really nasty situations where they just keep kicking the can down the road. So I'm really hesitant to ever tell anyone to go get business debt right off the bat if they've never owned a business before, because they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And if you have a very proven business model and someone to hold your hand and you've already paid them, maybe, maybe. However, I think that there's enough you can do as a responsible adult to earn and save up that money along the way. And it might mean that you have to kick your business journey down the road a couple of years. It might mean that you work in a job that you don't like for a few years, living lean, saving up money so that you can have that to put down in the business. Maybe that's what's required of you. But if you do take out business debt, it happens. And I see people who are successful with it. You just have to be on top of your crap because I guarantee you that that money will go away so quickly if you aren't on top of it. And then you will just think, I'll just go get more. And then yeah. I'll just get more. And we just create this cash eating machine without staying on top of it. And I just, I see the other side of that, Kim, where people are now even a decade into their business. That's just how they always ran it. Now they're in debt, you know, 800,000 trying to figure out oh, how to crawl goodness. out. And it's like, oh no, it's terrible. It's so, so, so I come at this with the other side of the table conversation mm -hmm. of yes, but right. So yes, you can, but my goodness, I'd be careful. And business lending is incredibly predatory, incredibly predatory, meaning there are people who will loan you lots of money and they'll say, look, here's, I'll give you this great big business loan and it's only 35% interest in, and you'll pay back. And you're like, oh, this is great. And you're like, wait, 35% interest. 35% interest. Oh yeah. 
I have clients right now with 35% interest and that's on the low side. I have clients who have 70% interest loans where it's like you are getting just totally, totally hosed in the business. And so it's just a, it's messy waters when you start going that route. And if you play your cards right, I think that you can make that back very quickly. Yes. However, I feel like if you're an unproved entrepreneur, so to speak, I wouldn't have wanted to go into that personally myself. I don't feel like I would have been responsible enough to make it happen. And if I had a bunch in reserves personally, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's like, hey, you know, I've been able to save up money and I want to put a little bit in of my own and get some out. Potentially, yeah. If you've proven yourself responsible, go for it. But boy, I'd be careful with that. Yeah. And now if you have a proven method and you know it works, then those are reasons to do it and have somebody with you that really understands how to get you out of that. But I totally agree with you. I started with my own money. I did have to take out a loan a little bit later, but just because I scaled so fast and it's like, oh, Whoa, yeah. what just happened? But you do have to understand that you have to pay that back and you, you have to take, gosh, I think my first loan was like $40,000 with a 5% interest rate. Yeah, and I, that was a, a hard bit. one it's to a lot take. more expensive now. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So let's talk about how to calculate if they can afford to go into business kind of. So you're, you're saying, let's just back up just a little bit. So go ahead and write down every expense that you can think of yep. and put it on a piece of paper and tally that up and then allow yourself maybe three to $5,000 that you can have as a cushion because you're going to need more. And then also put in there the cost of Con Ed or the training that you're going to need for your new skill set. And that could range anywhere from maybe $4,000 to $10,000, depending on if you're going to have mentorship yeah, with absolutely. that or not. Okay. Yeah. So, and one of the very first things that I have people do, even when they come in to work with us, and we granted at this point work with people who are further along in their business journey than just starting off. But even business owners who are making seven figures, the very first thing I make them do is sit down and write down all of their personal expenses. It's the very first step. Look at and your that personal should be the first expenses. Step. Mm -hmm. It is. It has to be because we need to know how much does the business need to kick off in profit for me and not just profit, but how much does it need to pay me mm -hmm. in order for me and my household to be good? That's a very important thing to know, especially if you're going to be leaving a full-time job or even a part-time job and going all in, quote unquote, on a business. You need to know how long do I have as a runway, right? So let's say you've got some savings that you're sitting on. And I just don't see a lot of people do the math of this because math is frustrating. and mm -hmm. Sometimes you just don't know how to do it. Let's imagine that I spend $10,000 every month personally, right? For a mortgage and student loan payments and you know all the other expenses. And let's imagine that I don't have anyone else who's, well, I don't know. Let's, let's imagine that I do. Let's imagine I have a spouse and my spouse works part-time and contributes 3000 a month. Cool. So now I've got 10,000 in personal expenses. A spouse brings in 3K. So I've got 7K that I need to cover, right? Now I might go in and look at my personal savings and say, okay, I've got $50,000 saved up. Well, then we have to know how long does that $50,000 last us, right? How quickly are we going to be burning into that? What's our time frame that we can be eating into our reserves or eating into maybe that's money that we've set aside for something like this. And I say, okay, I've got $50,000. How long am I going to take to burn through that? Well, 50,000 divided by the 7,000 that we said we need to cover, right? I don't know what that is off the top of my head. It's close to seven, probably, because seven yeah. times seven is 49. So let's call it seven months. You have a seven-month runway then to get the business you know, kicking off $7,000 of cash. 
or at least some cash, right? Mm -hmm. For you to take home. So that's the first step is figure out how much you need the business to pay you. And a lot of times people don't look at it in that way. The business can't just exist losing money for years. And a lot of people will say, oh yeah, you know, it's great. If your business gets profitable within three years, you're doing awesome. I'm sorry, as a small business owner, you will be out of business before three years. It doesn't work <laughs> that you way. You're not a public... system. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not fundraising millions of dollars to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And so the rules are different when you're running a small business. The rules are that if you're an owner of a small business, you need it to kick off enough cash to pay you, right? So we look at that side first, and now we can go in and say, okay, given all my expenses that I know I've got a thousand bucks a month in expenses and I can charge a hundred bucks a visit. So I've got a thousand bucks, my first 10 patients, that just goes to cover my overhead. And then everything after that can go to start helping to pay me back. But there's a couple other things. We need to remember that as a business owner, we need to save taxes. And this is a really painful lesson for so many people because they'll go and they'll say, oh, I covered all my baseline expenses. All that money's mine. Oh, no. A third of it's going straight to the government for taxes. Mm -hmm. And then this panic builds up in people. As I say, I can feel you listening to this right now with that panic setting in realizing you don't understand business taxes. And let me just tell you, it's okay. It's actually not as complicated as you think because for most people, their quote unquote business taxes, it's just their personal taxes. It's just adding on to your own personal tax bill. And so if we can just plan to save about 30% of the profit in our business, so the money that comes in, so our revenue minus our expenses, what's left over, that's profit. We save 30% of that for taxes. And we should save a little bit of it too for business savings. I like to save 5% of our revenue for business savings. So just imagine that you have something like 60% of your profit available for you, right? And now we've done a whole ton of math and I've lost 90% of the people listening to this, but the concept is more important. Not all the money I make in a business is mine. And I need to realize that from the get-go. First, my expenses are going out the door, then taxes go out the door, and then I need to save for the business because someday I want to grow the business. And if I've taken out debt, you better believe they're taking their share first too to pay that debt back. And then you get paid. And so as an owner in a business, realistically, you get paid last. You do. And you don't get paid if there's nothing left. Oh, yeah. That's messy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so now we've welled up all kinds of fear and feelings of inadequacy in all of your listeners. And they feel like this is so overwhelming, Alex. I don't think I can do this. And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can. When you started PTA school and you shadowed PTAs and they were showing you all the techniques that they were doing and how they were managing patient flow and you told yourself, I don't know if I can do this. It was probably the same level of overwhelm you're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And yet you're doing it. Mm -hmm. This stuff is a learnable skill, just like everything else you've picked up along the career path that you're on right now. You can learn this stuff, even if it's been tough for you in the past. And that I think is incredibly liberating to recognize that business is just a set of skills. And you can hire people like Kim to help accelerate that in the same way that you hired your college professors to accelerate your path there. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I actually think that college is a lot more expensive than mentorship in terms of the time that you get, hands-on, one-on-one, in terms of the resources that you get. And so that's why, again, to sort of bring this conversation full circle, that's why I'm such a big fan of getting mentorship, buying programs, when the timing is right, so that it can accelerate you through learning that skill set and you can have someone to lean on as you go through the process. Because it can be very, very lonely out there when you're a business owner and and you don't know what to do. And just yeah, those surprise tax bills, they're they're no fun, let me tell you. 
<laughs> it happened one time and that didn't happen again. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. And it was the same for us. My very first year, we we mm -hmm. things blew up for us. We went from making a couple grand a month to uh, we had our first, it was like an $80,000 product launch. And I was like, this is it. Wow. We totally made it. I'm set for life. <laughs> Not Until I realized, wait a second. Okay, we got to pay out affiliates. Then we need to pay out all of our future expenses. Oh, and there's payment plans. So this doesn't hit us all at once. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's taxes. That's right. How much do I owe in taxes again? And that was when I, my second slap in the face moment when I realized I didn't understand business taxes and how much I needed to save. And so I just took, you know, just the next month of my life to dive into it and understand it. I'm, I'm the kind of person who I like to quantify everything if you can't tell. So I like to know exactly what is it that's going to happen and I want to understand why. And so that was my moment where it's like, oh, crap, I am not as set as I thought. And then we figured it all out and you figure out a business model and you get a system down. And now I don't spend months worrying about taxes. I spend about 15 minutes a month mm -hmm. going through this financial process that I have, I allocate the money where I need to go. I pay our staff. You know, We save money for reserves. Credit cards get all paid off and we're set to jet. It's like 15, 20 minutes a month. And so the stuff is overwhelming at the beginning. But if you learn it, set up a system around it, and then just lean on the system, life gets a lot easier. It sure does. Now let's talk about, you just kind of that cursor, precursor into reserves. How much mm -hmm. should a person put into reserves before they pay themselves? Um, yeah. And I think you said 5% is kind of what you, is that what you said? Yeah. It again, it depends on the business type and kind of where you're at. Bigger businesses can't save that much. Smaller businesses can often, and it's very dependent on what you personally need to take out of the business. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to take money out of the business to survive and we're weighing, do I keep more reserves in the business or do I keep my mortgage payment going? Darn it, pay the mortgage payment. All right. So there's a balance in there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the second piece of things is first, we look at all our personal finances. And then we look at the balance between what's more important to me, building up business reserves or building up personal reserves or not totally drawing down personal reserves. And that balance is different for every single person. So it's hard to have a firm rule. But then if all things are equal, it's like, you know, I'm pretty good at either way then yes, I love to try to save 5% of my revenue. So my total sales, 5% of those per month, we set into what's called a growth fund. And it's a separate bank account, can be at the same bank, but just a separate little bank account that's a savings account where I just set my money there so that I'm growing that every single month. And then each quarter, so every 90 days, I look at that money and I say, cool, I've got this extra money here. Do I need that to pay me an extra bonus or do we roll it into sort of our business reserves permanently? And so 5% is is the short answer to your easy question. And, that and then the for those of you, I'd also just add to that. We say, I say 5% as well, but then I have a different fund for those that don't want to stay being solopreneurs. So there's people that know I started my business. I'm going to start as a solopreneur, but my ultimate position is going to be CEO or marketing or whatever role they are going to play. So now they have to scale their business and train someone to do the clinical side of things. And there, you have to bring in more money or you're going to be not getting a paycheck to do that. So we take a look at that in our program to make sure people really understand that, yes, you may have brought in $11,000 this month, but you know, if you want to not be in the same space and you want to hire more employees, there is a cost of that. And that is extremely costly. 
Oh, it's every business's biggest expense. Payroll and people costs is almost every business's biggest expense. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's most solopreneurs' biggest expense. They're paying themselves. They just don't see themselves as that, but you're doing the work in your business and mm -hmm. you probably have to pay yourself more than even you know rent and all your other stuff combined. It's true. People expenses are the biggest. And I really like looking at you know what's the short-term outcome of the business that you want. Is the short-term outcome that you need to cover personal expenses and that's the priority? Cool. Then we're going to have to sock away more towards you personally. And that's just going to have to be how it is. If the shorter term thing is, I want to buy back my time and I know that I can buy back some of my time, then I'm going to pay myself the minimum necessary to keep things okay at home. And the rest goes back into the business to be able to go grow that fund towards hiring my next employee, getting the next coaching or whatever it is. And so again, it's all very dependent on your personal situation, which is mm -hmm. why I really like if it doesn't create a conflict of interest. I really like people having either a full-time or part-time job as they're transitioning to where there's not as much financial pressure on the business to make things happen right away. And I know that there can be conflicts of interest here and you know, non-competes and stuff that you have to think about. But if we can work around that within you know, good ethics, then I love to have less financial pressure on the business because I can grow it quicker. Right? If I don't need to pay myself as much, mm -hmm. I can invest more into the business. I can get employees quicker. I can get new space that accommodates more treatment spaces. right? And so the less you have to take out of the business as an owner, the faster you can grow simply because you have more money available. Awesome. So I guess if we had to recap for everybody, Alex, business finances that they really need to focus on, number one, are their personal business finances. If they've got those in order and they have some money that they've put to the side, then looking into businesses, probably the next step because they can afford it. And then really understanding the cost of business. I think that's an area that people don't understand. I have to agree with you. Really looking at cost of ownership. And gosh, there's so many opportunities out there right now. You've got on the wellness business side, at least for a PTA or a PT, anybody who wants to open a wellness business, man, there's tons of franchises out there, but, and they, they kind of give you everything that you need, but there's a huge upfront cost for those. Oh, yeah. But with that upfront cost, you also have a proven system that works. You also have, you know, people that support you so that you're going to succeed. But gosh, those things run from, I think the cheapest I've seen is 39,000 to start up to 400,000. Yeah. We, we work with a number of franchisees and we have a few franchisors that we work with and it's an interesting model. And again, if you're not an entrepreneur or previously haven't been, that can be a route. If you've got the money or you feel like, Hey, I can make it work. It's not a guarantee ever mm -hmm. that things will work, but it's certainly a, a push forward, so to speak, in giving you the systems that you need and giving you a business model, the marketing assets, and sort of the support along the way. Similar to getting coaching, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of like the next level of like, okay, I'm going to get coaching. You know, I'm going to buy a course. I'm going to get mentorship. I'm going to buy into a franchise. And each of those has different levels of support and kind of access to resources. Mm -hmm. But they also get more expensive as you go up, obviously, because mm -hmm. you're paying for, for more of that. So mm -hmm. kind of an interesting model. The other thing I didn't mention, Kim, is please start keeping as soon as you can, especially once you get an LLC set up or PLLC, whatever legal entity you need set up, please open up business bank accounts as soon as you can and keep business and personal expenses mm -hmm. separate. That's something I see that bleeds into even you know very seasoned business owners 
will let personal and business finances bleed together. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, I would have to totally agree. That has to be completely, completely different. I don't even know how you would let those merge together. (laughs) Oh, it happens all the time. Everyone's Uh, running personal expenses through the business and vice versa. And it gets messy. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So I'm I'm just kind of looking through my notes to see if there's anything else that question. Oh, you know what? Somebody asked at the end when I was asking, you know, what kind of questions do you have? You know, the banking industry right now, (laughs) all of that is a mess. Is there even are there even good loans available if they did want to go that route? You know that they can, you know, that's going to, they've already got their finances in order. You know that you've got a proven system and you're going to take that money out. Are the banks even loaning right now because of what's going on? The short answer is yes, because they want money. They want cash flow. So yes, the banks are still lending. I'm not overly concerned. I mean, obviously, I think there's bigger societal impacts of banks going down as an individual bank. And, you know, if you were to go get a loan from a bank, like I'm not incredibly concerned about them going under and all of a sudden, you know, yes, it can happen. Let's be honest. If the bank goes under, someone else is buying your loan anyway. Mm-hmm. But yes, banks are loaning. And in fact, there are other institutions loaning as well. Like American Express now purchased a lender called Cabbage a while back. Cabbage with a K. So if you're an American Express customer, you can get Cabbage has some really relatively decent loan options out there. They're they're sort of one of the more mainstream ones. PayPal has capital loans that they give. Square has loans that they give all at decently reasonable terms. Mm-hmm. You got to understand the loan that you're getting into, but it's not just going to the bank anymore to get a to get a business loan. The last thing that I'll say too on this is Look for grants. Mm-hmm. I have a number of clients who are really that. darn good at getting grants. Mm-hmm. And you would never think about this, but there are a ton of different grants where the government or certain private companies will give you money to start up a business. Literally, mm-hmm. they'll give you money. I have people getting multi-thousand dollar grants all the time. We have a we have a restaurant owner of all things that got a giant grant for his space and he's got his whole space for free for like a year covered by this grant. So there's wow. stuff out there for people who look. There's a lot of money out there still. And it's worth Googling in your city or even on YouTube. Go look up, hey, business grants for wellness businesses. Go look it up. There's tons of stuff out there that is available. And women-owned businesses, guys. There's a lot. If you're female, a lot of women-owned businesses. The loans are out there for you. So, Alex, if someone is really needing some help with finances and you guys are a good fit for them. Can you kind of drop how they would contact you to be able to inquire? So if you want to check out our website, ceofinanceacademy.com, that's where all our stuff kind of lives. We've got two ways that we work with people, either a a pretty in-depth one-on-one that's really not right for people unless they're at 250,000 of revenue or more because it's such a hands-on and it's not a cheap program. If you're just in the startup phase and you're really wanting to get a handle on both personal and business finances, we have a program called Profit You. That's a do-it-yourself. It's a cheap program. You can go through, do the stuff yourself, get access to all the spreadsheets and stuff and be able to have a really solid foundation for both personal and business finances as you're getting going. That's That would be my recommendation. And then we've got you content on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. We're kind of all over. You can search CEO Finance Academy and you'll find us there. We have a lot of free stuff. We even have a whole free course that we've put out that, that again, is on our website. So we've got a lot of resources for this stuff because it's hard to understand. Not a lot of people teaching it. And mm-hmm. especially as a healthcare owner, 
you got to get a handle on this because we're such givers all the time as healthcare providers. You, you have to run a profitable business if you want to stay in business. I think that I'm glad you ended with that because you're so true. We're helper personalities. And I see all the time, you know, we get taken advantage of and it, guys, I get it. But this is a business. It's not your personal life and you have to run it and have boundaries. So, hey, it was so awesome having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Again, I tell you, it's 360 degrees here that we're on the show here together talking about these things. It's It's been a whirlwind last few years. So thanks for all you do for everybody. Hey, thank you, Kim. It's so cool to see your journey and now all the people that you're helping as a result. So thank you for stepping up. And it's been an honor to be here with you. So fun to catch up too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again, Alex. And guys, we'll see you on the other side of WellCare. What a great show today with Alex. Alex, I thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate you and everything that you do. And guys, if you want more information packed into these episodes, then please comment below and let me know what type of information is helpful for you. Finances are a huge part of being a business owner and a successful business owner. And as we talked about in the show today, really grasping your personal finances and your business finances and understanding where and how you need to have money available to you and where these numbers come from are important. If you'd like to know more about working with me or how to become a stretch mobility coach or an affiliate owner, be sure to check the show notes below. I'm going to put a note in there where you can join me for a free information session to learn more about entrepreneurship. But I'll also put a link down here to where you can go and look at Will and Alex's Profit You course. That is such an inexpensive way to get information about starting your own business. And they have all kinds of forms, like Alex said in there. And it's possibly if you don't understand finances, that's a good course to purchase if you don't have any other mentorship. Now, the stretch method is your umbrella for safety as a stretch mobility coach. This allows you to provide stretch mobility coach services without risking your PTA license. We teach everything to willing PTAs that are ready to step away from reactive care and ready to learn a well care model. As a stretch mobility coach, you are never alone and support is as close as your smartphone. If you're ready to join the PTA Wellness Business Ownership Movement, click on the link below to register for our information session. Now, thanks again for joining me on the show today about finances, and I wish you all the best success in 2023 with your business finances. And as I say in every show, don't just be the dreamer. Set your goals and visualize them as if they are already achieved. Keep those goals in front of you all the time. Visualize them daily and start to live them today. Take one step at a time towards achieving those goals. And guys, share your goals below with me in the comments and let me know what you want on future shows. Thanks again for joining me today and have a great day. joining us today on the Rehab to Wellness Boss podcast, where you, a rehab professional, can start, build, and grow your very own successful wellness cash practice. If you're ready to level up and become a stretch mobility coach, then head on over to our website, www.thestretchmobilitycoach.com. This website will take you through the next steps needed to practice as a stretch mobility coach. Come on over. 